The Ectoplasm Show is brought to you by North KC's Big Rip Brewing Company. Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ectoplasm Show. Doing things a little bit differently today. Um, So as you guys know, Jason and myself were at Planet Comic Con uh, just this past weekend. Had an amazing time, still kind of recouping from all of that. Um, But we did the, uh, the really cool, like, panel discussion with David Glidden, uh, Dr. Feelgood, and myself. And then we did a paranormal panel um, where it was still the same uh, three, Dr. Feelgood, David, and myself. But then we are joined by our good friend Brent Hand uh, from Hysteria 51. Uh, our also, our, our good buddy Sam Culper uh, did uh, moderate that panel as well, which was amazing. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, and if you guys get a chance, go check out Breakers Podcast as well. You will not be uh you will not be disappointed at all um so this guys what you're going to hear first is going to be the uh the short little panel discussion that we had right after screening our film into the light and then uh we get into the actual paranormal panel itself uh so this is basically you know what we were doing at planet comic con this weekend a small little tidbit um i hope you enjoy it um we will be coming out with more content later this week so we'll talk to you guys soon peace out all righty all right you guys ready, ready. so apparently Koopsik has prepared some questions i did and we'll take questions from anybody who feels like asking them as well um we don't have the fancy little signs right now but this is josh hurd and david glidden hi hi nice to see you guys they made the film um they're kind of a big deal <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was just going to start off the panel with a few questions about some basic stuff. Like, did the paranormal spawn the film work or did the other way around? Were you into paranormal first and then started film work? Or did you like film work and then found the paranormal? For me, personally, um, I've always been a fan of film. I actually I didn't realize that I could make film until about, like, five or six years ago, you know, is when I really got into it. Um, So definitely the paranormal stuff first for me. And then I just tried to translate that onto film as much as possible. So for me, it was um, the paranormal first. I got into it like 12 years ago, but I didn't start really getting into filming until I guess three or yeah, about three years ago. And I started doing a, a web series and this was actually my first attempt at a feature-length documentary, so. Yeah. So where did the idea for this specific film start, and how long was it between the, the first initial discussion of it that you actually started filming? Okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, I live near Joplin, so around there, the, the spook light there is pretty well known. 
And I've gone out there dozens of times, never saw it, but it still fascinated me a little bit. And uh, for about a year, I kept thinking about, well, I wonder if anybody's ever shot a documentary on this, if anybody's ever really gone in depth about other lights and stuff like that. And uh, I, so it, I was kicking it in my head around and uh, I had Josh come down to uh, the spook light to see if we could see it. And um, we didn't see it that night, but I started telling him about my idea about the documentary and he absolutely loved the idea. And uh, we just kind of went from there. We decided, hey, let's go ahead and shoot this thing. Yeah. It was more. It was more like, yeah, let's shoot the movie. I wasn't too thrilled about the camping aspect of everything. <laughs> I'm not much of an outdoorsman. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. yes. Great. Perfect. The showers. <laughs> um, so, you've made other films, Josh. I know. How many films have you made? I am up to nine different films now. And though you haven't done a feature-length film, you've been filming different things for quite a while now. Yeah, right? I've. I've done uh, some commercial work. I've done, uh, like I said, I've got a web series. We're actually shooting season four of that. And uh, I've done some concert shooting and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't necessarily a rookie with the camera, but I'm, this was a big stepping stone for me as far as filming and, and everything like that goes. And, you know, when we were out shooting, uh, Josh told me I was probably going to end up catching the bug. And, you know what? I, I've got the bug. I want to shoot some more. So, <laughs> the film bug, not a yeah. different bug. Well, yes, that. Okay. It, that I too. I fully intended a different bug. But yeah. <laughs> he told um, me it was gonna be weird. I did say it was gonna be weird. So, <laughs> being seasoned at least somewhat into this, um, what were some of the challenges you had with this film that you weren't prepared for that you came across while you were making it? Honestly, there wasn't. I didn't feel there was much challenge to it. No, this was like the smoothest process possible. Like, I know with other films that I have done before, um, like the first documentary, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Like up to and including 75% of the crew quitting 24 hours before we were to begin filming. Like it was bad, um, like super bad. So this, this was actually, like, Dave did a really good job of, like, putting everything together, um, kind of mapping everything out, and we shot it right between the eyes, man. It was great. Yeah, it was more of a, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of prep that went into it. We did do some research in locations. We initially had four locations that we wanted to shoot, uh, the fourth one being the uh, Gurdon Light in Arkansas. Um, had a really good backstory on it and everything, but with filming three different locations, that we have, I kind of knew that because we we're going to spend a few days at each location, that it was going to be impossible to break it down to, you know, an, an hour, an hour and a half length feature film. And uh, I didn't want to make a two-hour film about this. I wanted to kind of keep it as as simple as possible, yet as informative as possible. So right. that was probably the biggest hurdle of anything. Uh, one of the questions I was going to have later was. Were there other places you had hoped to get to, other spook lights or light phenomena that you had hoped to get to, or maybe you plan to get to in the future? You can answer it. <laughs> yeah. So we've already discussed um, the idea of, of a sequel. Um, this time, taking it about five steps farther, um, I don't know. Do you want to discuss the locations or? I well, mean, I mean, it, it's not. We can. Um, 
one of the ideas was returning to the Brown Mountains. Um, the, an idea that we had was since there's three peaks that were of interest, especially there at the end where we saw the lights, um, we wanted to do something where we can cover that entire area, all each of those mountains, right. and uh, try to get an even closer experience to this, and maybe we could perhaps be able to find some kind of resolution. But there is another place um, I could say, I guess we could talk about the place. Go ahead. Uh, it's in Norway. Um, there's a research facility that is built underneath where a light anomaly happens. And it's actually government funded. It's a scientific research facility. And they're completely dedicated to actually uh, researching the light. And our thoughts were if we can get to that town and try we're to. We're just going to knock on the door and be like, gonna, yeah, can yeah. we please come in? <laughs> we let us in. <laughs> uh, if we can get in with the uh, research facility and kind of hang around them for a couple of days, you know, yeah. and find out what they've learned and see what we can learn from them and uh, bring that to to the masses, to the people that are interested. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's good. All right, so what, you said there wasn't a whole lot of challenges, but everything's a learning process. What's something you guys learned about filmmaking while making this film? I learned how to pitch a tent. <laughs> That's, That's what not I... Filmmaking. <laughs> um, sort of. <laughs> No, as far as like filmmaking, like it's always, it's, you're always learning something as far as filmmaking goes, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, um, no matter how long you've done it. Um, Dave and I tend to kind of mesh well together because we do a lot of what's called like run and gun type filmmaking, where you just have a camera and you're just pointing it in a general direction and hope to God that whatever it is that you're capturing is somewhat interesting, you know? Um, but... I mean, so you're always constantly learning different things. You're adding to your own personal style. Um, I don't know. It was it's, everything's a learning process for me, anyway. I think the biggest thing is you can never have too much B-roll. <laughs> that is very, very true. <laughs> um, but also learning the camera a little bit more was one of the biggest things that I got to right. learn from this. Um, it, it wasn't like I didn't. I never went to film school. So, and, and it's not really required for anybody to go to film school. Film school is just a way for people to connect, make connections. Um, most of the stuff you learn at film school, you learn on YouTube, and that's what I do. That's where I go. I go on Film Riot, some film other, Riot. other uh, shows, and learn there, and that's kind of where I've picked up any technique that I've got or, or uh, style that I have. I'm just kind of growing into it. and. But learning the camera and learning what settings work for what lighting and, and all these different issues uh, started working out through, throughout the film process. I have one question I know that Josh wanted to answer. He told me to ask this question. To Dave? Boxers or briefs? Dave? Do you want me to give you my answer that I gave you? Well, Neither. you answer for David, and David, you guys camped together, you should know. We had separate tents, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was another one of my questions. Why didn't you save a little bit of money and share a tent? <laughs> save money. We, didn't, we, didn't, we only paid for one spot, though. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we only paid one time for a camping spot. Yeah. No, pretty. I'm talking about the cost of the tent. Yeah, Anyways. It was on sale, man. Yeah, my tent was on sale. That's... Yeah. I bought it for well, there bucks. could have been a little. My next question: um, <laughs> There could have been a little animosity if you guys stayed in the same tent. Was there anything on this 
journey that you disagreed upon, that you guys kind of fought, went back and forth on, maybe fought about? I don't think we did. Uh-uh. I don't no. think we fought at all, really. I think we laughed too much during yeah. the whole process because we're a couple idiots. So <laughs> that little piece of film that you guys saw in the movie, actually, where we're stopped at the gas station and I say that we all have to poop, um, that was never supposed to be in the film. In fact, like that's the only thing I've yelled at Dave about, actually. Yeah. Like That was just me being a butthead, <laughs> trying to give him a chuckle while he was editing everything. Um, but Dave, being Dave, decides that it's probably a good idea to make the final cut. Yeah, yeah let's put that in there. Yeah, I mean. why not? <laughs> let's talk about a couple of the things that are in the film. Uh, one is, whose kids were they, and why did you not let everyone know that they were in fact, or th- why did you let everyone know that they were in fact not yours? <laughs> just about anybody's. Yeah. <laughs> just, he I anybody's. didn't understand that shirt or why you chose it. <laughs> what you, is that shirt from? Dave's shirts in this film are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to really pay attention to the shirts. It's great. Yeah. Um, so everybody I know has kids. I'm, I don't have kids, so that's that's one thing about that shirt. And if you if you're a single guy, if you don't have kids, and you're around people with kids, and the kids want to hold your hand while you're walking around somewhere, you want a shirt like that to let everybody know it's not your kid. Not your kid. Okay. That I'm good not stuff. responsible for other people's kids. <laughs> that's right. So good. Also, you got really super kind of excited, like double oh. rainbow excited. Yes, I did. Uh, when you saw the light. Uh, can you explain your feelings a little deeper during that moment? Because really? you were super excited, and we could kind of see why, but it, it came. It, you could definitely tell that it wasn't just for the filming. You were super excited to be there at that moment. Well, two, two things, two reasons. Um, the first reason was we were pretty pissed off that we weren't catching anything. Anything, right. We, we had an experience at Joplin where we saw something, but we didn't catch it because it happened in like three seconds. Yeah. And, um, like, I couldn't pick up a camera fast enough. And we were so mad because nothing was happening. Nothing was, was being captured. And being at it was the last night that we were out in, in North Carolina. If we didn't capture something, that could make or break the film. Uh, I don't think the film would have turned out as well as it did if we didn't capture that. Yeah. So that was the first thing that really got me excited. And the second thing was we didn't expect to even see them. And for it to show up and for it to uh, correlate with all of the other experiences, you know, people, a vast majority of the sightings were of a red light. And for that red light to show up over the mountain and actually move off the mountain into the air, that was pretty amazing. And you hear Ed Phillips talking about his experience where they were out there, they saw a light, but they were just so flabbergasted by it that they didn't even think to pick up a camera and take a picture. Well, that's how everybody else described their experience there. And we were just lucky enough to have our cameras. And yeah. that, that's why I was excited. Do any of you have questions? Sam here has a microphone if anybody wants to ask them questions. He's like, no way. I, I do have a question. So you've got the film in the can now. This project's done. We've got plans for maybe a future one. But what's the future of this film now? You guys are here talking to us about it. You're going to be uh, maybe some other events talking about it. Uh, do you shop it to some sort of festivals that would uh, cater to this type of thing? So over the next couple months, we're actually we're going to continue on with the tour uh, through mid-April-ish. Um, and then... 
release it officially to the masses, so to speak. Yeah. Um, One of the main places that it's going to be released to is Amazon. We're going to uh, make it av available for direct download, uh, video on demand, and also selling DVDs through Amazon. Um, there's a couple other uh, streaming websites that we'll, we'll probably go through, but we've been also talking about some other options. We're just kind of waiting, testing the waters with and just kind of holding our breath on them. Yeah. What do you guys think? Oh, you turn, turn it off. <laughs> what do you guys think of us? What's your opinion? Huh. You gotta like break it down and go, okay. See, and that's what's, that's, that's what's interesting about it. So like specifically talking to the people in North Carolina, um, we heard a, a claim of, I forget if it was like a father and son yeah. that were out there, um, more or less like in the gorge itself uh, on the level ground and they saw it approaching them. Now what was interesting is it was coming right at them and it seemed to stop and then go around them and then continue on the path it would have been on. Exactly, like it, like it had some form of intelligence. Like that to me would suggest that. Um, I, I don't know, like it's, it's so interesting, like what it could be, what it is or is not. I don't know, man, like it's a great question, but I don't have an answer to at this point. Um, why didn't you speculate in the film what you might've thought? You just didn't want to do that? No, um, there's, there's no reason to kind of swayed anybody to right. any particular position on it. Um, I wanted it to be open-ended like that, just so people would make up their own minds, um, maybe get curious about it and go investigate it themselves. Yeah, yeah. How, how did this stack up to other experiences you've had? You guys are both investigators. Right. So, and that's, that was one thing that I didn't know how I was going to react seeing it for myself, if we were in fact to see it. Um, I, I will say like, I wasn't afraid. Like, I, that was one, I guess, I was afraid of being afraid. Um, I'm always, I always think that if I get scared and I'm on camera, like, I'm going to look like a fool. Like, it's going to happen. So, um, I will say, like, it was more of just that shock factor. Like, oh, my God. Like, this is all happening right now. Finally, we're able to, to see this, document this. Um, now, with... Comparing it to like uh, the other stuff I've done in the paranormal, and I'm sure Josh and even Jason would probably feel the same way. Uh, comparing it with other stuff in the paranormal that we've done, usually we investigate hauntings. This is a kind of a, a unique aspect of the paranormal field. And when we say talk about the paranormal field, it's, it's a general term. Paranormal field is just things that we don't understand or can't explain. And you know, that could revolve around UFOs, it could revolve around Bigfoots and other cryptids, and this is just something that never gets talked about, and to actually go out and experience it, it's, it's new territory. Um, I think trying to compare it to, like, ghost hunting and stuff, it, it doesn't do it justice, it's got its own appeal. Oh, when we were with out the EMF with the detector. EMF detector, yeah. yeah. I know what happened with it, yeah. So, so maybe you could get, like, your, uh, see what energy is around you, maybe you want to put that out next to 
The other yeah. thing people really don't realize is that the Earth has its own field that can be detected in pockets. Um, and with the, uh, with the road, I don't believe it was anything natural per se. Um, being that it was, we, we walked that road and we were still getting EMF on the road. But anytime Josh got near the power lines, the EMF disappeared. Which was the, cure, the oddest thing because you would think getting near the power lines, would, it would go up. But, um, and I thought at one point, and that's why I showed the radio tower, was right. I figured maybe the radio tower's got something that's kind of screwing with our, our mail meter. And getting close to the radio tower didn't change it at all. So It was pretty interesting, like how that all went down. And we were almost killed by a bull. <laughs> we had one charge us as we were walking down the road. I didn't put it in the film because I didn't shoot the bull. Should have put that the in the film. You just didn't want to show us your reaction. Yeah, I, I started walking faster. <laughs> I was flipping terrified. All right, I have one final question. Oh, go ahead, you. I just thought, was the EMF, it could have been two opposing Yes. Yes, exactly. I just didn't know where the other one like would have potentially even been coming from it was so weird because it's not there's nothing out there <laughs> like there's nothing out there now something i do want to add about the joplin thing um i'd actually investigated out there with another paranormal team back in 2009 and this is a point of interest i wanted to include in the film but uh getting the audio from the team uh they didn't get to me in time but we'd actually captured evps out there on the road of a little kid saying things like come and find me um, that road, there's actually been kids that have died out there from being run over because people park their cars on the side of the road. And yeah. the kids, teenagers, will do stupid things out there. They've, uh, they've done, some people claim, satanic rituals out on that road. Uh, there is two documented teens that have died out there from being run over. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the first night we were out there, we were stopped by the police and uh he was telling us about some of the deaths that happened out there so i there i do have an evp but it's not mine to be presenting i would have loved to have put it in the films to show you guys but uh like i said they didn't get back to me in time so right. there is that aspect i've had a few crazy encounters out there on that and not uh paranormal wise yeah <laughs> yep. there's a lot of people that go out there, there and do a lot of drugs to try to see yep. the lights yep and it's this fun. really cool sound clip that we have on the yeah. ectoplasm <laughs> show. That, what does it say exactly? Sherman Williams don't have shit on this. That's what it is. That's the yeah. stoner. So this quote. guy, this stoner, was out there, and he was observing what he thought was the the Joplin spook light. And yeah, Sherman <laughs> Williams don't have shit on yeah, this. That like was yeah, fun. that was quite a few years ago. It's amazing. So my last question <laughs> is specifically for Josh, um, just to poke <laughs> at him a little bit. Um, <laughs> How was camping? You looked pretty rough on that little video right after the first night. I looked night. pretty rough because, okay, like people don't understand. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not an outdoorsman at all. And I, I'm a weirdo. Like I'll take probably three showers a day, no lie. So like I feel uncomfortable right now because I haven't showered in the last six hours, right? Um, like it's, uh, so that was rough for me, like not having a shower for like three days at a time. So when we were in North Carolina, I insisted that the campground we went to had a shower facility and it did but it i mean the water that came out was about Those six degrees cooler than the surface of the sun itself but i really you know beggars can't be choosers right so 
But yeah, we That's got all the questions it. I have. Any other questions out there? That'll do. All right, we'll uh, start the paranormal panel here now. Might as well. Keep it going. Go. Let's do it. So I'm going to pass this off to Sam. He's going to moderate this panel. Nice. And Brent Han's going to come up here with us. Nice. Yay, Brent! Hey, stay there. <laughs> Does it say bent hand? That is amazing. Okay. I'll let Brent sit there. Yeah, move the mic over. Do we have new people in here since these guys started? <clears throat> yeah. The, these guys kind of veered off a little bit into some things outside of the spook lights anyway. So uh, <laughs> this happens. panel, the purpose of this panel is just to talk about paranormal issues. So since we've already kind of started venturing off into that area, before we go too far, it looks like Dr. Feelgood's got his uh, he's, he's <laughs> sign up right here. Does it say Dr. Feelgood? It says Dr. Doctor. That Dr. is hot. Uh, I want to introduce these guys just a little bit. We've got Jason Koopsik from the Ectoplasm Show and 10th Dimension Paranormal. Uh, no, I'm from... <laughs> the the Paracon is me. Hugh is with 10th Dimension Paranormal. <laughs> right? See, I just met him yesterday. Somebody get this guy a cue card. Technically, my group is named... Mid-Continent Paranormal, um, though I don't necessarily do anything under that name anymore. I still have it, but I'm also with the Ectoplasm Show, the Kansas City Paracon, and I, I'm i kind of a paranormal free agent where I just go and work with a lot of different people. Okay, just give us some cliff notes real quick. What is the Ectoplasm Show? Because I know you and Josh both do the Ectoplasm Show together. So, cliff notes, it's just it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, so right now we do one episode a week where we talk for an hour about current events that happen to be odd, strange, or weird, or whatever we find interesting. Yeah. Uh, we do topic episodes from time to time. We're at almost 250 episodes. It's weird. So We've it's been doing show. it for so long. It's pretty new. Yeah. yeah. Pretty new show. <laughs> uh, we're not a big show, and I'm fine with that. And then we have David Glidden. David is also not from 10th Dimensional Paranormal. <laughs> so, David, tell us uh, just a little bit. And okay. We've heard it before, but again, uh, where, what all are you involved in? I'm the uh, founder of Four State Paranormal. We've uh, been investigating for 12 years. Um, I'm also the creator of a web series called Haunting History. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, we are in our fourth season right now. We're, we're currently filming for that. Um, I'm also a podcast host for the Paranormal Frequencies podcast. I don't know how long we've been doing it, but it feels like forever. Um, we try to do our show a little bit different. Well, I mean, kind of similar to these guys, but we, we don't, like a lot of podcasts will have guests on all the time. We don't do that. We, we try to do different topics and uh, go around that topic uh, for each episode and try to mix it up that way. Um, and I'm also one of the creators of the movie some of you just saw. All right, then we have Josh Hurd. Josh from the movie as well, and also from the Ectoplasm Show. What, all, what kind of things do you have going on, Josh? Um, so I'm a paranormal author, lecturer, investigator, filmmaker. I also uh, own a haunted location that we call Malvern Manor in Malvern, Iowa. Uh, but yeah, written six books on the paranormal, done now nine documentary films on the subject as well. Um, so yeah. Thanks for letting me go after that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and top that. Tell us what you do yeah. then. We have Brent Hand from Hysteria 51. I'm a PhD doctorate. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, what does a, that stand for? Yeah. 
It's above your pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm a co-host of the Hysteria 51 podcast. It's a paranormal podcast as well. Um, ours is a little different. We do, we release a, a show every week. Um, I'm the believer. My my co-host is very much the skeptic of everything. He doesn't believe anything. Um, and so we we pick a new topic every week. We do have some guests. It's usually just us, and we tell the history behind a, a story and try to break it down. Okay, now we're here to talk about the paranormal stuff a little bit. Just a little bit of background and some definitions because I'm kind of like his co-host and we've talked about this, some of us. I'm the, the, the I'm cautiously optimistic about whether some of this stuff is true or not. The, the skeptic, if you will. That's so, smart though. That's what that is smart. So, so, so from my perspective, when we talk about things like the paranormal, we have a, a range of things from spirituality to science and paranormal and supernatural. How do you define, each of you, what exactly constitutes the paranormal or the esoteric type things that you study? I'll start out, I guess. That's changed for me over the years. Um, these days, it's just anything I can't explain to myself. Um, I view it differently. I don't try to quantify or label anything. I just view it as something that I don't know what it is. So, sure, I've had UFO sightings over the years. I've seen plenty of things um, in haunted locations. I've had things grab me. But in my head, I try to just say that I don't know what it is. Even if I may have opinions on it, I try to keep that viewpoint. So that's how I look at all of it these days. Uh, does that make sense? Well, the first thing uh, I ever saw when I was a kid was UFO, and I've seen a few of those over the years. I would say that since I've started really in the field, where in the community, I've focused mainly on hauntings and ghosts and stuff like that, so I've had a ton of those experiences, more than UFO experiences. It's hard for me to pin down. It's different all the time, it changes. When I was younger, it was UFOs, Nessie. During the 90s, when I was in high school growing up, I loved conspiracies, and I just like reading about them. I don't necessarily believe them, but I like reading about them. And then it turned into ghosts. And another thing that really drives me in this field and in a lot of things is I like the challenge of trying to do something. I want to go out there and do it because other people aren't doing it. And this sort of thing, I would say these days especially when it comes to ghost hunting, I would say 75% of the satisfaction of what I get to do is going to these awesome locations that people do not get to go into. I get to crawl around in a 200-year-old attic of a mansion where nobody gets to see. I get to go up there and maybe have a paranormal experience while I'm there. It's funny because when you say paranormal, people immediately think ghosts, I think. That's, that's where people's heads go to usually when you say it. And I try to, to make sure that we don't just, at least on our show on Hysteria 51, we don't just go down one, one avenue. We love conspiracies like crazy. And I think one of the things that we try to do, like, be it conspiracies, UFOs, anything like that, is try to take, like, instead of taking the, the, the firm I don't believe you or the firm um, 
everything's real and I'm on Ancient Aliens or Gaia and, and we just, we're yes men. We try to look at it and go, if this was true, how could this be true? And that, I find a lot more entertainment and, and learning can be done by looking at it that way than just going, I believe everything or I don't believe. It. That's what I liked about in the show, in your movie, you looked at this and you said, okay, well, we need to drive this and make sure it's not lights or it's not this or that. So many people just go, well, there it was, right. you know, with anything you see. And that's something that I, I don't, um, I don't think is done enough, the breaking down and telling both sides. Right. Well, I mean, and at the end of the day, that's our professional ass on the line there too. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Like we have to be as thorough as possible I mm -hmm. think, with that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so yeah, that's, um, you know, Jason made a really good point about how his thoughts and feelings have changed over the years because with any investigator that's done it for some time, you start off with one notion and your experiences throughout time will change things, uh, change the way you look at life, it'll change the way you look at death, it'll change the way you look at abnormalities and um, you start guiding yourself into different uh, uh, venues. Like for myself, you know, I, I started uh, my first experience, I, I, first thing I wanted to do was find out what it was, find the natural explanation. That's where I started off, was find the natural explanation. Then it evolved into, well, let's start helping people that are having these experiences. And now it's evolved into, well, I'm researching quantum physics and trying to correlate quantum physics into the paranormal field and see what the uh, relationship is and how it can lend itself to explaining some of these things. Um, I do a lot of experimentation now, and some of it at his expense. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, it's you have to you have to explore it. You know, you can't just sit there and say, "Oh, it's this or this." I think with the paranormal field, it's it's not one thing like ghosts or it's not just aliens. It's a whole realm of possibilities. Not, not so. to throw shade on anybody, but I don't think you want to become like the uh, the Finding Bigfoot. We're like, oh, yeah. oh, did you hear that? That was definitely a squatch back <laughs> there. Squatch. Like you never want to become that. Where it's just we like, we had a moment in the film. It's not in the actual film, but it's sorry a, if anyone's a huge fan. I apologize. But it, it was. It's a uh, a little blooper we have. That first night in the Brown Mountains, it's national forest. It is thick national forest, and we're wrapping up the first night and we hear this god-awful yell coming from the goalie it was weird and it, it it was crazy and I was like you know what maybe that's Bigfoot you know <laughs> I, I started getting Rick Rose all riled up <laughs> and uh, we we start you know thinking well if it's Bigfoot maybe we should try to uh, communicate with it so I uh, time for some tree knocks <laughs> <laughs> so um, a friend of ours Eric Ensbrenner made this spoof video <laughs> about calling Sasquatch and uh, I don't think Rick Rose even knew where I was going with this but I was like you know what maybe I should try to do the Sasquatch call and he's like yeah dude do it do it so I handed my camera and I was like all right it's my first time don't judge me Sasquatch <laughs> and he just looks at me he's like dude I thought you were gonna seriously do it you're <laughs> dude, serious oh. so, so did it work or yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't work. They got something they did not expect. Yeah. Right. We got. I got a good chuckle out of it, but it was good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't really be too serious with this stuff because if you yeah. if you do, it will eat you up and it'll take a toll on your life too. 
honestly. You yeah, that's a great point. You can't be too serious in this field and you can't worry about what people think about what you do. Yeah. Or you're not gonna last. And when you and I know that you've all experienced this, the people that when we take the approach we do where we're trying to to look at things, you know, ethically and with a clear mind, the hardcore <laughs> people do not like that. Right. By as far as I mean, like the hardcore conspiracy theorists or things like that, that uh, if you have a disagreement with a lot of people, that's something that they. Oh, yeah. They, they take, take that exception to. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, like touring around uh, showing different films mm -hmm. is certain markets like the East Coast yeah. is way more um, hardcore, hardcore paranormal people mm -hmm. out there. Right. We went over to and, and screened uh, a brush with evil in San Francisco and people are so laid back and chill with everything yeah. like it was <laughs> night and day it was yeah. amazing yeah. amazing well you know you talk about th this idea of, of being ethical uh, and and skeptical and, and balancing these these kinds of things when you're studying have your how, how have your beliefs changed throughout the process of of investigating and learning and studying the various things. Have you become more skeptical or more open hmm. over the years of the things that you've looked into? I would say, and I think it's probably true for everybody else, that the more you do this, the more skeptical you are about everything. You may believe in it. There, so the, the definition of skeptic has changed dramatically in the last, I don't know how many years. And it's not just in the field. So skeptic, originally was you question everything about yourself rather than outwardly Correct. at least I, I think i'm right with that right and now it's you question and don't believe in anything out there i think that that term is used incorrectly yeah, also the, i think the correct that, term um, is cynic <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. What exactly. you're, you're looking skeptic magazine yes. it should be cynic magazine so exactly. josh exactly. and i have <laughs> been good friends yeah. for it's been five years now and yeah. I know Josh well. I know he's not going to fake anything. That goes for David as well. I don't know Hand very well yet. That's why I'm on the end. <laughs> Josh will show me something, and I believe it because I know Josh well. I still was not there. I still did not experience. So I still there's still part of me that's like, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. You, this is a um, you have to see it to believe it kind of field. And I think you can believe in this sort of stuff, but unless you see it, you're going to question even what your best friend comes and tells you about yep. in this field. One of my co or one of my my co-host. One of the things he always says is, instead of saying that he believes someone, he'll go, "Well, I think he, I believe that he believes what he's saying." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like the yeah. way to be able to say like, "Oh, I agree," <laughs> without actually coming out and saying, "I believe that he really believes right. that he thought he thinks he saw what he saw or whatever." And that's the roundabout way yeah. of, of getting around it. Koopsik dances around stuff like that too, though. Well, he does. You know, you, he does. I'm very good at that. Yes, you are. You should be in politics. <laughs> when you look at these things day in and day out, yeah, for me at least, like you do, you start questioning a lot more. And I don't mean like, oh, you know, everything with the government, but you see the things that are real or, or that you that have came out. Like we just did an episode on on um, Operation Northwood, which is which was a false flag operation with the U.S. government. And you're like holy crap, like if they're willing to do stuff like this, where do you stop? And so it opens your eyes to, at least for me, to be able to go, 
I'll listen to more before I at least say absolutely not or absolutely yes, because you know if ABC is true, why not XYZ? And I, I would totally agree. Like that's the stuff that scares me though. Because now, how far down the rabbit hole can I possibly go before I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, yeah, yeah. like the whole time? Like it's scary. Yeah. But but I with that tinfoil hat concern, <laughs> you guys are always in the rabbit hole. You know, yeah. you have yeah. your various specialties that you're looking at. You do a little th little more of a global mm -hmm. scope type of thing. But as you're looking at one thing, you're hearing stories about these other things. When you're at the library, you're constantly in this rabbit hole. How do you keep from? How do you keep all of that wrangled into one thing? Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very fine line. At times, I think about how I try not to, like, I, I did say earlier that you can't worry about what people think in this field, but I don't necessarily worry about what people think, but I do th try to picture myself from the outside. Yeah, I have a lot of weird things weird things I'm interested in when it comes to paranormal or conspiracies, all this stuff. I don't think I'm over the top. There's a difference between being interested in everything and 100% believing everything without proof. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think the people that, uh, it's hard to say, but I think it's the same in any point in life. If people don't view, or if people view you from the outside and don't really know you, you can come off as crazy no matter what you're into. <laughs> yeah. And to, to get through like the paranormal field, I mean, I think honestly, A, having a sense of humor about things is a very big easement with handling different situations. Um, and the skepticism that comes along with everything, um, you know, I get people showing me photos all the time. They'll send me messages on Facebook asking me, what do you think of this photo? And the, what I tell them is, first off, you're probably going to get mad at me because, number one, I wasn't there. I didn't experience it. I don't know what the situation was. So you showing me a picture is just a picture to me. It does me no good. For me to tell you what I think it could be, I could just be throwing, you know, balls in the air and one of them's going to land somewhere, you know. Um, so, you know, you have to be able to laugh things off and have have a, a slick back, let everything roll off your back, because you're going to get a lot of criticism, too. And, and I don't know about these guys' experiences um, as far as the evolution of your experiences and everything. For me personally, I've, the paranormal can be a dark place. I've gone through a, a dark time in, in my whole uh, career, I guess you can call it, where it affected my personal life. I, I was homeless for about six months. I lived in a tent for six months because I couldn't give up my, this grip that I had on it or it had on me. Um, it, it became my everything. And that's when I knew I was taking it too seriously. And you have to be able to know your bounds, I think, with that. So that sense of humor and being able, able to let stuff roll off your back, I think that's a key part of this whole thing, honestly. Uh, let me show you the picture that I took. Yeah, you guys, you guys see that from time to time. I think All the time. I saw something. All the time. <laughs> so, so I, that kind of brings up this this question of technology. There was a time where technology was going to make what you guys did easier. Maybe that we were going to come up with a new device that showed us something. But 
I see a world now where technology is actually making it more difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert at many things, but if I can imagine an image, I can make it. This is where yeah. cynical comes in. Yeah, okay? absolutely. So when I look at a film like yours, I know you guys, and I don't think that you're here trying to deceive me, but if I were objectively on the outside, I know that there's five apps on my phone that I can make any of the pictures. How do you guys reconcile not just the work that you do, but things that you see, information that you have to digest from other places, uh, under the idea that any of it could be made by a 14-year-old kid mm -hmm. while he's skipping history class? Yep. Mm -hmm. It goes on the whole, you gotta experience it yourself. That's what I always try to tell people too. It's like everything in the paranormal, it's, it's what I call a big location joke, right? It's like you walk up on your friends and they're laughing hysterically and you don't get the joke. You know, they try to retell it and you just don't get it. And they're like, oh man, you just had to be there. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. Well, if you're not wanna, there to experience it yourself, you know. Um, I don't want to yeah. speak for them too. Um, sure you do. About this film or their <laughs> films, but I think that their approach would probably be the same as mine. I'm not trying to sell it to you. I'm trying to sell you the idea of the possibility. I would say that that's, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair, sure. And also technology is um, a double-edged sword there. One, they ha we have more tools, of course, yeah, like you said, and we can make anything that we could show you as well. But also another thing that's going on in the paranormal field that's bad in my opinion, is people get stuck on one particular piece of technology and that's all they'll use. Mm -hmm. They won't broaden their minds out from that. They believe that this, and they can believe, with, I'm not trying to slight them for believing in this thing, but they, they get stuck on one item and they won't go outside of this one box or this one device that they believe works. Yeah, right. And that's fine for them, but when it's viewed from the outside as a community as the whole, mm -hmm. it can look bad. This is where I get really cynical. Yeah, um, me too. With equipment nowadays, there was a time uh, where the equipment coming out uh, was real equipment that was being used for other purposes. And it was experimental in the, in the paranormal field. How is it gonna react? How, how is it going to benefit the paranormal field? Now it's gotten to everybody's rehashing the same piece of equipment and putting bells and whistles on it and try to sell it as a new item. They slap $600 on it and say it's a ghost box. Exactly. Yes, but then at the, and exactly. And at the end of the day, not a single one of these people can tell you exactly how that works. What Why it should detect anything anomalous or what exactly is going on within the device itself mm -hmm. to make it Give the We've asked actually it about something. Well, it's the chip. Well, what yeah. chip or what's exactly. what? Exactly. Well, it's just the, the it's the chip. That's but you that, have to do that. You know, yeah. yeah. That's like a, you have to get down case, to brass tacks. Case in point with like the way things <clears throat> change with the technology. So now with Photoshop editing, you know, After Effects, things like that, it's so easy. So we had a, a guy who wasn't actually a listener. He just found who we were, and he's like, "Listen, I clean out homes." That, that get uh, you know foreclosed and stuff. He goes, I found a box of slides. They're from the 50s. And they looked at UFOs in them. I'd like to send them to you. And you can just figure out. It's like, sure. Wow. So he gives them, he sends them to us and we look at them. And they are, I mean, obviously fake, but really good. And so we actually partnered with MUFON and yeah. they dated them everything. They were from the 50s. And what they were was like a photographer learning to fake. 
because wow. it takes so much time. Wow. So they were like, you could see like the progression through the slides about in the last ones. And, and this is why I told him, I go, they're, they're the worst you'll ever see and the best and you'll the ever best. see. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you could see the whole progression. It's and that was a skill at that yeah. time. It's like the, uh, the spirit photography in the spiritualist movement where people would sit on a chair and claim that, you know, great aunt Rose yep. was standing behind them or a, a loved mm. one who had just recently passed and they were photographed in there. Yeah. Now, if he'd have found just those last ones, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That, I would probably have sent him the move on and you'd all seen him on the news or something yeah. like that. <laughs> exactly. you know? That's how it works, but not Definitive everyone. proof. Or unfortunately, so many people will go, well, the first three quarters, we're just going to throw it out. Right. You know, there are a lot of charlatans in this field, and there always have been. I mean, yes. the, the paranormal field in that term and how it is today is relatively new, but spiritualism in that field as a whole is very old. Yeah. And there's always been charlatans out there trying to take advantage of everybody. Right. And so that's something we have to combat every day in this field. And Josh was starting to hint at something there at the beginning of what he was about to say uh, regarding equipment was something that is very blatant nowadays is people don't know how to use the equipment. The right. simplest thing, the melmeter that we used in, in the film, a lot of investigators use the melmeter to try to find EMF, but I guarantee you, 75% of those people don't realize there's a record function on that millimeter where you can record your spikes, highs and lows for temperature and EMF. Mm -hmm. Okay, for the me's in the crowd, what's an EMF and how is your, what's your meter doing? Tell me, the EMF dumb is it down a, for me a little bit. <laughs> the EMF is an electric magnetic field. Uh, it is an energy field that is usually, it can be free-floating, but it's also uh, derived from man-made objects, things like your okay, alarm clocks. Okay, now, to illustrate, to illustrate your yeah. point, yeah. Okay. We have this EMF. We have this free-floating electromagnetic. Okay. How does that relate to something that is paranormal? Because that could be something that is purely that, that there is a scientific explanation for. Absolutely. This I mean, is why there, I try not to. There's electromagnetism around my phone right now. Around right. my person right now. So that phone yeah. right there in your hand would absolutely set off a piece of our equipment from at least 20 to 25 feet away. Are, especially the K2 meters. Easy. Okay. Yes, especially the K2 meters. So when I look at the paranormal investigators that I know, we don't have a very good standard across the board for licensing, credentialing, accreditation. There's it doesn't zero. exist. Yeah, exactly. Because we're dealing with a pseudoscience, I guess it would be. Yeah, because the question is, is who would lay down those standards? Because yeah. there's no, I mean, it's all unknown. So. So, so right. now, bringing that back to the equipment, we now have a gadget, a device that could be used for something for research that's, that's yeah. that, that people yeah. know about. Yeah. But we've, we've repurposed it for something different. And now we have a high school kid who's trying to do something, or a PhD in uh, physics that's Correct. trying to do something, and we have this range of people out here. How do you guys reconcile that for, for paranormal research across the board? How do you become legitimate now in the face of so many, not just necessarily charlatans, but people who believe that they believe what's happening stop buying into really the show well and i think <laughs> like i think like with with us for example like going into an investigation one thing that i always do and no, i like if i'm going to present something to you i'm going to try to eliminate all forms of bs right out of the gate i'm going to show you exactly what i'm doing and why i'm going to get a baseline reading in whatever room or what have you that you're you know investigating in i'm going to take my <laughs> cell phone and 
throw it out the window, do whatever you want to do. Make sure it's completely out of the equation, though. Um, but doing that and then seeing anything, you know, okay, I have a baseline reading of a point two in this room. So I, on, you know, on paper, anything above a point two could potentially be something anomalous, right? Or a natural type of fluctuation, like Dave suggested as well. So I'm going to try to eliminate all forms of BS initially first um, before I present anything. And you, should never, <coughs> you should never rely on just one device. You should always yes. look for EMF, exactly. K2, right. FLIR, all showing things at the same time. Right. Never just rely on one thing. Yeah, if you yeah, get absolutely. an EMF spike and stuff's flying off the walls and you're hearing voices out loud, I mean, there's a little bit of a correlation there. Um, but And my question's a little more global. I, I, I can assume for the purposes of this argument that right. Josh is an absolute expert and everything he does is following a perfect scientific method and he's using no, the equipment correct. correctly. <laughs> but, but the paranormal field... Uh, for, There's for no the, checks and the, balances. There the is skeptics no. of us yeah, out exactly, here. Exactly. The skeptics of us out here. I don't know everybody, and I have all of this information coming at me. What do you guys do as paranormal investigations to help legitimize your industry? What it is that you're doing to to, to help us work through that chaff? What what does your industry need to do to become legitimate? We need to decipher through the BS. Well. In established checks and balances, like you said, there's there's a laundry list there of is. things that would potentially need to be done for anybody to uh, be taken seriously. Um, with with like uh, I'm not saying any names, but one of the biggest items out there, like the uh, the spirit box or some of these spirit radios. Mm -hmm. This hey, is what is a spirit box? Tell us what that does real quick. Just uh, assume we don't well, know. the PSB7 spirit box sweeps through AM, FM frequencies at a higher rate of speed, and people try to pull words out of that. But However, there's a lot of fallacy with that. Yeah, there's um, a lot of room for error there. <laughs> and there's several variations of these types of spirit boxes, as they're called. But what I've been seeing a lot of is people are still, and this is what grinds my gears, <laughs> yeah, this, this is just yeah, just just to clarify. This is, this is a device that ghost hunters some use. Ghost, some it's a radio room. It's a radio, so they can hear radio. the ghosts. It's a broken radio. It's a okay. broken radio. This, never, yes. this never stops on one channel. Uh, and just correct. keeps scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Yeah. This is one of those items that people cling to that yes. I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what's been happening with this particular device over the past five six years is people are changing the way they look and putting lights on them. But the thing is, they're they're still making the signals distorted, and anytime you do that, you're you're damaging any type of if anything were to come through. Wouldn't well, you want it to be clean? What was the clean? name of it again? The P PSB seven. PSB seven. Right. Yeah. So you go to YouTube right now, and not only will there be eight thousand videos showing you how to use this, yeah. there's also eight thousand more showing you how to mod it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and so immediately, if you're doing anything like that, it's you know. I'm throwing a name out there. Uh, Steve Huff is very well known for his, his boxes, his devices. When he builds these, he adds things like uh, reverb, delays, all like these guitar effects. Pedals. Guitar effect pedals, yes. Yeah. All these effects, which if you're legitimately, legitimately looking for any kind of response, you want it as clean as possible. Why do you throw these things on there to distort the signal? Right. To distort it more. That makes no sense. It just gives you... 
it makes you, and this word gets tossed around a lot too, uh, pareidolia. Uh, Say that again? I'm pareidolia. Sorry. It's the mind's ability to make something, Order make sense of, of something that's out of chaos. Yep. Order yeah. out of chaos. But and to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, we don't know how these things may be able to communicate with us. They may need that. We don't know. It's not True. probable, but they may need something like that to, in, to do it. Like, so this field is, my personal opinion, what most people in this field are doing aren't ever really going to prove anything no. to anybody or any, to the world. Whoa. There's no hardcore, I, I, I won't say that there's no, but for the most part, it's not done scientifically. That word's thrown around a lot, but I, I've never done anything scientifically in the field. I think I think we do things I as scientifically as possible. But it's number one, hard. like you would need, yeah, exactly, because you would need a controlled environment, right? And you need and a long-term exposure that's an impossible, to a location. Exactly, and that is damn near an impossibility, especially with a controlled environment, because there are, I mean, these nasty old buildings or whatever, like that's it's very hard. Um, you would also need some form of repeatability. Now, how the hell do you do that? Right? Like, how, how would you uh, repeat this, this process or your results? Um, again, especially if you're talking to something that is supposedly intelligent in some way, shape, or form. What if they just don't feel like it? <laughs> like, yeah. No. I think well, an, another thing that needs to change in the paranormal field is just <clears throat> changing terminology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, instead of saying you're a scientific science-based team, why don't you just say you're you try to look at things through a logical? I like the aspect. term scientician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, so a, instead of a scientist, no, no, you're a scientician. I like. You that. know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, you're not. You're just you're just well, out there doing whatever. Yeah. And, right. and we've been talking about the science aspect of it a little bit. You have these objective, observer, observer, observable. Pardon me, uh, repeatable things that you look for scientifically, but in the paranormal or supernatural, you also have subjective type things Very. where you have yes. people who potentially could be more influenceable or more receptive. Everyone's gonna have their own experience. EMF, we've been talking about that, that that's a, a good example. So, you know, you're checking to see if you have EMF and it can, um, they feel that, that, you know, spirits or things could work with that. But if an area that has a lot of EMF, you're by a tower, that can actually make humans hallucinate. Absolutely. So you get a lot of people that go, I keep seeing a ghost, and then they come in, and they're actually getting, like, for lack of a better word, EMF a, poisoning. There was actually a term yeah. coined for that effect, at least in buildings. And it was coined by a paranormal show. It's called a, a what, a fear box? Fear cage. Oh, the fear cage, fear cage when you're surrounded by it. Right. Yeah. Where they're in old buildings where all the wiring and lining is down in the basement. Those areas have very high EMF and can yeah. make people feel And you just feel you, you those see people things. Have and it's a scientifically yeah. provable thing. So those are things like your house isn't haunted or this isn't haunted or this isn't going on. You didn't see a UFO. You're just, your 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 mind's being played with by all the electromagnetism that you're, you're submitting yourself to. And you got to watch out for people because they hate when you tell them that. <laughs> yeah, if you say, like, oh, actually, it's because of this, they, they think you're... Like you're I'm, I'm not nuts. No, you really did see what yeah. you saw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're just a, a, a reason why. Yeah. Right. Well, what, what I see when I listen to, to folks talk about their experiences or their research is generally one extreme or another when what you really need is the very middle. You have people who don't believe that are trying to disprove and you have people who absolutely believe they're looking for that answer. And if you're looking for a specific answer, you're more likely to find it. If you don't have any preconceived notions, then you're going to lead towards whatever your evidence yields. 
But then we have these subjective type things, these your own experience. Right. Everybody's going to have their own experience. Jason was kind enough to take me on one of his investigations. We were in two buildings that were essentially side by side. I never saw the ghost. They never talked to me. But me, as the skeptic, cautiously optimistic, in one building, you had certain feelings. In the second, you had a little bit of a different eerie feeling. Where does that come from? Some sort of influence? Uh, maybe just the way things looked. Maybe I was a little more tired here. But you have these subjective things. Um, how, how, do you, how do those things affect you when you're researching? And how do you push them aside to try to be more objective? Or do you want to? See, that's, that's interesting, too, because I've noticed, like, personally, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm whatever, that's usually where my mind goes, right? That's pretty much the majority of what I'm focusing on. Like, even though I know I'm here to do X, Y, and Z, I'm pretty much focused on, you know, Domino's Pizza or whatever that's waiting for me, right? <laughs> um, but it does seem to affect what's going on. Um, I don't know if you guys have experienced that as well, but like even people that are observing me like during a session or whatever, if I'm sleepy or sleep deprived, so are they. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know how, how to. But it's, it's true how you say it, like you walk into a place and sometimes you, you say, this feels creepy. Whereas right. you walk in another place and people tell you that they've had experience with stuff and you're like, I feel nothing, this feels like nothing. Right. How how do you define that? I don't know. Right. How you perceive your environment. How you perceive your environment is key on how you're going to feel walking into a place. We did an experiment on Josh God damn um, it, where <laughs> we bombarded all of his senses. Well, not all, most of his senses. Uh, where we blasted pink noise, which is basically white noise, but a different frequency. We blasted pink noise while he sat in the middle of a hallway, a dark hallway where a shadow figure runs up at people. Uh, we also put on a strobe light to mess with his vision. And, you know, uh, we had a ion generator that was putting out this positively charged ions into the atmosphere for about five hours before he went into this area. So we jacked up the, uh, the whole environment, plus him knowing the story of that location. Uh, you got to see how all that played a part in what he experienced. And he experienced everything from hearing uh, screaming all sorts of fun stuff. People calling his name, name. seeing yeah. shadows. Uh, the environment totally messed with his perception of things. Right. So, I mean, walking into a, a creepy place, if you've got a pre... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Preconceived. Yeah, preconceived notion that this place is haunted because of the way it looks, then you're probably going to experience something or think you experience something. Yeah. One thing I tell a lot of new people in this field... Um, is you're probably gonna scare the shit out of yourself a lot more than anything there is going to do. There could be something very scary there, and scary things have happened to me. But for the most part, a lot of it is in people's heads. At least that excitement and that anticipation of something happening, you're going to be more worked up about that than what may happen that night. And I'm also, um, I think we gotta finish up here soon, but I, I think, we may talk about this for a minute, I think that there's a possibility that we're not supposed to know these answers, that we're here to experience life, and maybe if we knew these answers about what might happen after life, why would we live our life if it's some utopia? Who knows? Right. But I, 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 like I said earlier, I try not to uh, label anything or put, I try not to, um, 
put any preconceived notions in my own mind about a place or anything in life. But if I, I would say right now, I feel that that is a very big possibility that we're not supposed to know. Is it? I, I, I don't know. That's just how I feel. And I try to approach that in this field. I love looking into it. I love going out and looking for it. But at the end of the day, if it's never proven to me, I'm not going to feel bad about that. I think you got to kind of be that way to be in this field to begin with. Yeah, I would agree. How, how does the why affect? I mean, you say you kind of have to be like that, but for, for each of you, you know, when we talk about an EVP, we heard an EVP. Maybe that's repeatable, maybe it's not repeatable, but how much does the what is that really affect what you guys are doing? When you walk into a house and you know there's a story about the house, Someone lived here, someone died here, this bad thing happened, this good thing happened, and there are speculation that this is who we're hearing. How much does that affect you as a person uh, and your research as, as you look into these things? Sometimes when we go into an investigation, some of our members don't even know anything about the location we go to, so they have a clean slate. Uh, a couple of us will do the research so we know what to look for, uh, but we won't tell anybody, we won't give them any hints or clues. So we can compare those notes at the end of the night. Now, when we catch something that sounds like a voice that correlates with the history of a home or whatever, and the people that have no idea about something, if they were to experience something that related to it, that's a little bit of validation. I wouldn't give it like the full 100% because still there, there's that what if factor. Um, so, I mean, there's ways you can kind of go about stuff like this. It's just not everything's 100% solid. I think for me, I had an experience in my personal life, and I think I've been chasing that ever since, I guess, in a way, like validation, not, mm -hmm. not for, you know, me or, or per se, but just like I'm so interested. Like it's easy to become a fanatic, which I don't want to, you know, but, you know, I definitely fell down this rabbit hole, you know, sitting on the panel right now talking about it you know but um, for me I had an experience and I wanted to learn as much as I could wanted to see others it made me very skeptical and open in a way like more willing to to listen to people but also you know I feel easier to smell the BS you know yeah. I don't know if that's true or not but that's my experience why I got into it and and, and um, why I'm, I'm at least doing it right now. I think I can, I don't know about these guys, I can honestly say for myself that uh, when I started researching the paranormal, started looking into death basically, made me appreciate life a lot more. I can yeah. say that for sure. It opens your eyes. Well, I know, I don't really believe in anything. I like to learn, and I'm interested in everything. So you're a nihilist? But I'm, I'm probably fairly, fairly Now, much would you say that you don't believe in anything, or that believe is a hard word. Yeah. Do you believe that anything is, that there's things that are possible that you don't know? Well, what, what, I, was, what, I, what I would say, and I was being a little bit, a little bit exaggerating and hyperbolic there, but what I believe is that there are lots and lots of things out there that we don't know. And we, as in our, in our very nature, are constantly looking for answers. Mm -hmm. 
And in our search for answers, we're constantly making up answers. Uh, some of those are some of those answers that we make up are based on uh, experience and, and results, and some of them are speculation. Some of them are simply hope, particularly when you're talking about things like death. Um, so it's it's fascinating for me to study. And the one thing that I, that helps me try to be objective and open is to know that I've never experienced what he might be saying that he's experienced, but who the hell am I to say that it didn't happen to him? And to me, that works with religion and with mm -hmm. ghosts. And I with think that's the best way to look at it. Yeah, that's <coughs> if, as long as you keep that aspect in life, I think that'll take you pretty far. I mean, that's a that's a universal, you know, truth that doesn't just have to be about this. For sure. So we have about 10 minutes. There are a few of you in here. Does anybody have any questions for these guys? They've done this for a long time. I think a lot of you know them uh, about uh, anything that they've done or anything that uh, you'd like to ask them about. Well, before we wrap it up, quickly, Brent, tell us real quick, because I know we're recording this. We might publish it somewhere. Where can we find Brent Hand and Hysteria 51? So you can, if you're online, you just go to hysteria51.com. Of course, we're on... Uh, Facebook, just look up Hysteria 51. We also have a, a discussion group called Hysteria Nation. Uh, we're on Twitter. And if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, iTunes, anywhere, any podcatcher, you can find us on there. And here's the question everybody always asks. Mm -hmm. If I want to dig into your rabbit hole, mm -hmm. what's your favorite episode? My favorite one we've ever done was Simulation Theory. Simula My favorite. Simulation Theory. <laughs> yeah. All right. Which is if this is all real or if it's for Where, living in the Matrix. Is, where's uh, Conspiracy Bot at? I'm I was promised. Yeah. So yeah. so if you guys ever listen to our show, we do have a, a third host who's a, uh, a robot. An amazing robot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's not allowed to travel. I don't blame you. I thought he was driving you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Josh Hurd, where can we find you on the Internet? Um... I'm all over. Let's see. Facebook, Twitter, uh, the normal stuff right there. Um, I do a lot of stuff now with Malvern Manor, obviously, um, which we're all over Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, I just got um, a deal with uh, Nick Groff and Elizabeth Saint from Ghosts of Shepherdstown, their new network, The Haunted.Space. Uh, they're going to be hosting uh, three of my documentary films. Um, so, yeah. Um, Kind of all over the place right now, but yeah. David Glidden. Uh, yeah, social media. Um, I've got, I've got so much stuff on social media. It's ridiculous. I shouldn't have that much. Um, <laughs> YouTube, uh, YouTube.com forward slash Haunting History. You can catch the show there. Uh, the podcast we do on Paranormal Warehouses Facebook page. Um, you can find us on there. You can look us up on uh, Paranormal Frequencies on Facebook. Haunting Histories on Facebook. Uh, a new show that I'm planning on uh, starting to shoot later this year called Paranormal Studies. Uh, it's on Facebook as well. Um, I'll be updating that probably in a couple months. Um, but yeah, Twitter, just the basics. Dr. Koopsik? Uh, <laughs> Ectoplasmshow.com, <laughs> KansasCityParacon.net, um, MidcontinentParanormal.com, and social media um, yeah 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 all kinds of places manlove.org if you're listening to this you probably know where to find me well thank you guys for uh, talking with yeah. us and thank you guys for listening uh, i'm known as sam culper and you can find me at breakers podcast uh, we do a post-apocalyptic serial audio drama everywhere I freaking uh, you love get your it's fantastic you guys i love your podcast very much listen yes to it. thank you guys very yes. much thank you